Listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good morning. It's great to see you all out this holiday weekend. I've been excited about this time that we have together. And those of you that are new to MCC, those of you who've been coming back week after week, it's great to see you. It's good to see some faces I haven't seen for a while, so welcome back. And those of you that are online, we also welcome you. Please take a minute and fill that Get Connected card out uh, that you received on your way in. That's very important to us. And it's your opportunity to share what's going on in your life, how we can partner with you and praying for you and encouraging you, and perhaps there's some next steps that you're considering, we would love, we'd love to encourage you this week with those things. Before we dive in, there are a couple of things that I want to bring to your attention this morning that we can pray for. Uh, one is Thanksgiving uh, for Brian and Laura Lee Jackie and their new grandbaby this week. We're very excited for them. We have a brand new engagement in the house. I won't make them stand up right now, but I just, I think that's so exciting when a couple gets together. So we're excited for them. And I told them they're just in time this morning. So if you see them move towards the front for today's message, they're the ones, all right? So we can encourage them to be right up front. But I want to let you know, Nancy Stone is home. She came home yesterday. She's sitting in her recliner and, uh, and she's doing really well. And I want to thank those of you who jumped right on that meal train. We've got three weeks of meals going over there to Bill and Nancy. And uh, that's your ticket to get a chance to see her, right? So thank you for doing that. And I, I hope you get to have a quick visit with her when you go over. But she's doing, she's doing very, very well and will continue her physical therapy uh, going back and forth to Louisville three times a week, which should be a joy riding with Bill three days a week uh, to Louisville. But I also want to meet, bring to your attention Mary Swearens. Uh, those of you who worship with us regularly, uh, you know the Belvise who are on the stage with us this morning. And uh, uh, their father, David, Dave, who's usually back there on the bass, his wife, Mary. His wife, Mary, uh, is in the hospital right now in grave condition. Last night, uh, she declined significantly, and about uh, 11, 30, 12 o'clock, they put her on a ventilator, which was an option that they didn't really even see possible, but she was coherent enough to say it was okay for a little while. And so I just ask you to join me this morning in just continuing to pray for that family and, and for whatever your needs are today. I hope that you'll take this opportunity to go before the Lord and lay those at his feet. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can be together today. Thank you for the joys that we share in this journey. New life, Father, the physical healing of those who have been injured or hurt by disease. Father, the emotional and spiritual healing that is happening every day in the lives of those who re-surrender or surrender to you for the first time, those in addiction and those, Father, that have been apart from you. Lord, we praise you and we are so grateful for your grace and your mercy towards all of us. Today, we pray for Mary and Dave and for their entire family. Lord, as they watch and as they wait, we ask that you would give Mary peace and that you would restore her very broken lungs. Uh, Father, if that's what your desire is for her to continue here, I pray that you'll give David strength as 
They are often separated by today's hospital regulations. I pray, Father, that that barrier would be removed today in Jesus' name. Uh, Father, uh, we're so grateful and we trust you with everything. And so, Father, we wait for you and we watch for you. And in the meantime, we're obedient to you and faithful to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as always, we begin our time together celebrating life change. Tyler Lee last weekend on Saturday night was baptized. And we just continue to celebrate those who continue to come and to receive Christ. We're very excited for Tyler and Sandra and Gary who are just doing a great job raising him. Turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now, if you're here for us, uh, here with us at midweek every other Wednesday night, this past Wednesday we were in 1 Samuel. Now, in your Old Testament, when you open it up, you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, anyway. You get down the line there, and you come to First and Second Samuel, and that's where we're introduced to a guy named David. Remember David? Wednesday night, we looked at the reality that David was a shepherd boy who was appointed the second king of Israel by God. And so 1 Samuel talks about that. 2 Samuel, he comes into power, and this talks about his life. And the thing about the Old Testament is if you understand how it's put together, you got those two books, and then you've got 1 and 2 Kings, which tell you not only about David, but all of the kings that ruled during the Old Testament time. And then you come to 1 and 2 Chronicles that also chronicle their leadership. It talks about the, the role that the, the uh, priests and others play, the prophets played in leading those men as they led God's people. But this weekend we're looking at King David. And David was a great man. Remember the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. He was a humble shepherd boy who served God in the fields until he was anointed by Samuel to be king. He was a courageous teen. You'll remember the stories growing up of him going to the front line when all of the big strong warriors were running the opposite direction. It was that teenage boy David, scrawny David, who ran to the front line with his slingshot and three smooth stones. And remember who he took out? He took out the giant Goliath with a stone right between the eyes. He took giant, that giant spear and ran it through his heart, removing that that enemy. He was a talented poet. He was a talented poet that wrote the lyrics to songs that we still sing that are included in the songs that we sing today. He was a leader of men. But David's life wasn't without complication. In fact, there's one complication that stands out and could muddy this man's record forever were it not for God's forgiveness. He had trouble at home and his marriage fell apart. In 1 Kings chapter 15, it's written, For David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands. Can you imagine being that strong in your faith? He was. He was all the days of his life except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. And that's the exception that we're going to look at this weekend as we talk about how to take the complications that come when a man loves a woman and how applying God's word and precepts to that one relationship can simplify it. It can change everything about it. Let's look. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. 
in the spring, <clears throat> at the time when kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. Now, you've heard it said that you can be in the wrong place at the wrong time, right? I, I challenge the young people all the time. Be careful who you're hanging out with. You may not intend to go and get in trouble, but depending on who you're with, and if you're with them at the wrong time, you're included right there in the trouble. Well, David, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time because he remained in Jerusalem. He stayed home. He was supposed to be out with his men fighting the battles that were around them, but he delegated this authority to one of his men, and he stayed home and enjoyed his success. But in his idle time, which is the second lesson, right, when we are bored, when we are not doing what we're supposed to be doing, temptation always comes. And verse 2 says, one night when David couldn't sleep, David got up and he walked around on the roof of the palace and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. Boy, it makes you want to have a two-story home, doesn't it? I remember one of my youth ministers growing up in Scottsburg, and he added a second story on the back of his house, and it was out that back that he created one of those upper-level decks where he and his wife could go out and sit. And the very first time that he went out there to sit across catty-cornered over the privacy fence that he couldn't see over before was his neighbor's wife uh, sunbathing topless. He said it completely ruined. Well, he said it ruined, but he, but he couldn't go out there anymore on those days because she was out there. Well, here's Bathsheba taking a bath. I wonder if that's how she got her name. She loved baths on the roof. <laughs> but his eyes were fixed on her, and his heart began to pound. Verse 3, then David sent someone to find out about her. Now, up until this point, David has been so occupied with his role as king, his responsibilities. Notice he didn't even know who the next door neighbor lady was until this moment. So he begins to inquire. Verse 3, I love, the servant responded to David, isn't this Bathsheba? And I want you to notice the detail. The daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. You see, this servant knew. He knew what was on the king's mind. And can you hear what he's saying? This is someone's daughter, David. Wake up. Pay attention. This is someone's daughter. And besides that, this is someone's wife. You know, many times when you and I are being tempted to fall, God will send a warning of some kind, right? Just in the nick of time, you'll get a call from a friend. You'll, you'll get something that interrupts your plans. There'll be some kind of last-minute alarm. But David ignored it. He stared too long. He forgot who he was. He forgot how many people would be impacted by his sin. And friends, you and I forget this all the time. I really don't think it's because you don't care. Surely it's not that. But we forget how many people are counting on us? How many people are looking to us? Let alone your own family. But all that mattered was David's personal gratification. Verse 4, he sent for Bathsheba. She came willingly, and they committed adultery. 
Now, the Bible says that there's pleasure in sin for a season, and so this act carried with it pleasure. There was romance. There was intrigue. There was the secret of it all. They probably rationalized some, too, that they were, they were right for each other. Their marriages at home were, were boring. They'd hit a lull spot. You know how it is when you date someone and then you get married and, and all of a sudden all the things that you loved about them pale to the things now that just aggravate you to death. But when it was over, there were significant complications, serious complications. There was an unexpected pregnancy. You know, people were just as foolish then as they are now. There is no such thing as an unexpected pregnancy. It doesn't happen from drinking the water, right? I love the church kid that was taught kissing would lead to pregnancy. They came home and they were just mortified. Followed by an attempt to cover it up. There were lies. There were deceit. There was the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. The death of a child. Chaos in David's family. Disrespect toward the authority of the king. A couple of observations from this complicated season in David's life. And the complication that it brought to his relationship with God that we can learn from. And I want us to understand. The first is this. Relationships don't break down suddenly. When a man loves a woman, when a woman loves a man, and they form this relationship, the relationship doesn't break down suddenly. I really doubt that one day all was right with David at home and spiritually, and then the next day he went off the rails and had an affair. That's very, very rare. Scripture, though, points to the reality of the breakdown that had been going on for some time, the trouble at home that David had with his wife, Michael, who, by the way, was crazy King Saul's daughter. Now, if you want to follow along, the scriptures are on the screen. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 20. Remember, 1 Samuel talks about early on in David's life and in his kingship. Now, Saul's daughter, Michael, was in love with David. And when she told her father about it, it pleased him. Now remember, Saul's still king. David has been anointed the next king. Saul is jealous of David. Saul knows what's coming. The Lord's already told him through Nathan, your time's over. You're not following God's command as king. And so all of a sudden his daughter comes in and says, I'm in love with David. And he thinks, okay, this is how it's going to be. And every dad knows his daughter. And he thought to himself, now that Michael, she's going to be, she's going to be a hard one for him to get along with, right? She's going to be a snare to him. And so he was all giddy about it. He was very excited. He was, he was ready. He said, I will give her to him so that she can be a snare to him. There was trouble with the father-in-law from the very beginning. He wanted David's life. Anybody have one of those relationships with your in-laws? No? My father-in-law, while well, he was alive. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Yes, I understand. I've met your in-laws, by the way. <laughs> My father-in-law was a chiropractor. And when we first got together, Sarah and I, and were engaged, um, I had never received an adjustment. 
I still wouldn't have to this day. And Doc, her dad just insisted, right? Sarah was on the every other day plan. And so one time when I was over there with her, getting, she was getting her adjustment from her dad. He said, come on over here, David, sit down. He put me in his chair, sat me up straight, and he grabbed a hold of my neck from behind like this. I, I felt like King David, right, with Saul. And that's, and Saul, no, Doc, not Saul. Doc, Doc grabbed my head and he did one of those neck pops, except he spun my head around three times. <laughs> and then he proceeded to give me a little talk about what it was going to be to marry his daughter. First Samuel chapter 19, verse 13. In one of Saul's attempts to have David killed, Michael helped David escape, but I want you to notice how she did it. Then Michael took an idol and laid it on the bed, covering it with a garment and putting some goat's hair on the head. Well, that tells you what David looks like. Goat's hair would trick somebody into believing that was David in the bed. But do you see the clue there as to what's going on in their marriage? Yes, she did the right thing by hiding him, by letting him slip out the window and getting away, and by her putting a fake thing in the bed. But look what she puts in the bed, an idol. What's God's people supposed to do with an idol? We're supposed to throw them out. What is an idol? An idol is anything that rises to the level of God in our life. And here their house was full of them. They were on completely separate pages spiritually. And if they weren't, shame on him for allowing that to be in his house. Well, it gets worse. After David's escape, Saul gives Michael to somebody else in marriage, and David marries another girl, Abigail. <coughs> and then once Saul is dead, once Saul is dead, David brings Michael back into the palace and marries her again. So there's problems there with unfaithfulness. And then there's the time when David's celebrating the return of the Ark of the Covenant. It's one of my favorite stories. The Ark of the Covenant had been taken captive for some time. This represented God's holy presence. It was a big deal. And David recovers it. He's bringing it back into town. And Michael's watching from the window. Notice she's not with him in this very important time. But she's watching from the window as he comes into town. And he's dancing and he's singing. And he's so excited about what God has done and what he's able to be a part of. And she looks at him with disdain. And not only that, but she calls him in and tells him how embarrassed she is of him. And notice his words to her. He says in verse 22, I can be even more undignified than this. There are plenty of other women out there that would be honored to have me. David's marriage had been in trouble from the very beginning. It was in trouble from the very beginning because David's relationship with his wife reflected the decline in David's relationship with God. You can't separate the two. My relationship with God does not break down suddenly just like my marriage doesn't. It's a slow fade. And we're either growing in that relationship with him or we are growing apart from him and we are being weakened by those things. A friend in ministry once said to me, they said, I get so tired of people calling with their problems and then being unfaithful and being in worship where they're given the answers. Can you relate to that? 
He said, I get so tired of people calling me with their problems, right? And counseling them, but yet they can't even come to worship where the answers are given to these problems. And this is where David's at. He's in trouble. He's not listening. What I want us to notice next is how God deals with this complication of David's adultery. I want you to notice first what God doesn't say. God doesn't say, David, I am so sorry that you have the in-laws that you do. I, I can't imagine how you've dealt with them during this time. You know, I, I can understand why you would need the comfort of a woman who takes baths out on the roof. <laughs> or David, David, bless your heart. You had spiritual differences with Michael. You, you shouldn't have married an unbeliever to start with. There was such a lack of appreciation. There was such a lack of encouragement. So I can understand why you'd have this affair. He doesn't say any of that. In fact, look at what Nathan, God's prophet, it's always a preacher that has to give the bad news. But look in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 9. Nathan confronted David in his sin, and he said, David, it couldn't get more plain than this. David, you've stolen your neighbor's wife. Not only that, but you have despised the commands of the Lord. You've taken what the Lord has told you, and you've ripped it up. You've put doo-doo on it. You have despised it. You've desecrated it. And you have done what is evil right in the sight of God. God doesn't mince any words. Now, I hear people rationalize a lot. Well, you can understand why he had an affair. She gained a lot of weight. She was cold towards him. I had one woman speak out last night when I mentioned that. I said, sorry, I guess it's true. Isn't it funny how we let ourselves go when we get married and then, then when we just can't stand it anymore, we get divorced, we're right back to where we were in our prime dating days. One husband said to his wife after an affair, he said, it was just a one-night stand, honey, I'm so sorry. But to be honest with you, it didn't mean anything. You're making a bigger deal out of it than it really was. Wrong. Wrong. You see, to her, it was an important issue. To God, marriage is a sacred union. You see, the complicating factor in relationship is when we decide that our own selfish desires are more important than the welfare of our mate. And it doesn't stop there. When we decide that it's more important for us to be happy than for our mate and to love them and to keep our commitment to them, we are also ignoring the will of God over our own desires. Now, friends, there's no perfect mate, but there is a faithful mate and an unfaithful mate. Which are you going to be? Now, Jude 24 gives us this good news. It writes, To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. There is one who can keep you focused in your marriage. There is one who can take what we have so complicated and simplify it and give you something that very few people find. And that's Jesus Christ. 
So in the time left, let's look at what God offers us to increase our staying power in this most important relationship. When a man loves a woman, when a man loves a woman, I'm talking about a real man. When a man loves a woman, he centers his life in the will of God and the power of his spirit. He centers his life in the will of God and the power of his spirit. And then in four very practical ways, this is what he does. This is what she does. This is what they keep in front of them at all times. And the first thing is to be fearful of the consequences. There's such thing as good fear. And this is an area where fear can be used as a legitimate deterrent from sin. Now, I had a pretty sheltered life. I've told you that over and over again. I made very few serious missteps in my life. Didn't have sex before I was married. I've never been drunk still to this day, even though there's been times I've been tempted in the last 10 years. Never used an illicit drug in my life. This isn't bragging. This is telling you that I was too afraid to. I wish that my faith was strong enough when I was a teenager to have not done those things, but I was scared to death. I didn't want to dishonor my parents. I didn't want to dishonor the church that I was a part of. And I am grateful. I'm grateful that I feared the consequences of those actions in my life. And we should fear the consequences of sin because the death that Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, is referring to a permanent death, a separation from God for all eternity. And so before we begin to even toy with the idea of stepping away from our relationship with our spouse, having an inappropriate relationship with a woman outside of marrying her, you know, you can honor marriage by being single and being pure. You can honor your future marriage. It's probably one of the greatest gifts you can give your spouse. But we need to be fearful of the consequences. The Bible says, be sure. Be sure your sin will find you out. It always, always, always comes to the surface. Whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. You know, we want to plant green beans and get corn. The pain of the harvest is always greater than the pleasure of the sowing. Once you start down that slippery slope, you're headed for unbelievable emotional pain. Do you really want that? Do you really want to pay the price of hurting people who truly love you, hurting your family, losing respect and the influence that you have, being guilty before God, losing, losing your career? Diane Medvev in her book, The Case Against Divorce, wrote, usually people who have an unrealistic view of marriage have an unrealistic view of divorce. When you're in the grip of a marital crisis, it's easy to overlook the fact that the typical divorced person spends six months to two years in a zombie-like state traumatized by the event. Now, I don't know about the zombie-like state. But it sure traumatizes you. It sure messes you up. But you know what I see? Divorce doesn't end the pain. Usually when we're ready for divorce, we are in such pain that we just want it to stop. But in and of itself, divorce does not provide a solution. People who opt for divorce trade one set of problems for another. 
And the post-divorce complications can many times be far harder to resolve than the marital problems have been. A good divorce lawyer will tell you that most of their clients wish they had worked as hard on their marriage as they had to work to survive divorce. I love this. Walter Davis was age 33 when he divorced his wife, Barbara. He immediately went online to the dating service, right? He put on all of his uh, information. This was back in the day when you had to actually pay a fee. Right now, I think you get a, a free trial or something. That you probably don't get a good match in the free trial. But if you pay him some money, this guy had 30,000 possibilities, right? This guy's like Solomon. Can you imagine spending your whole life trying to find the right woman? But out of those 33, they ranked the top four. Do you know who was number one uh, as the one who was most compatible with him? His wife <laughs> that he had just divorced. True story. Second, always be aware of vulnerabilities. When you love a woman, men, women, when you love a man, be aware of the vulnerabilities. Recognize that no one's exempt from failure. Look at David. David was a great man. David kept all of God's statutes. There isn't one of us who's been able to do that. He was a man after God's own heart, but in a moment of weakness, he fell. You may be married for a number of years, served together at church. You may be very happy, but don't get careless. The Bible says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. It might be the desire for individual activity. I just want my space. Well, I've been hearing that a lot from Sarah lately. <laughs> but, but this is space more than just having an hour at the end of the day without the girls and without me pawing at her, right? You just need a little bit of space. But, but this is the person who, who wants to just go away and be gone for three or four days at a time and, and not seem to even miss being at home. I want my space. It may be frequently arguing over things that never mattered before. It may be a sense of emotional distancing. You know what I'm talking about? A decreased interest in the things of God. It might be bringing friends in who are pulling you in a direction that's opposite of the one that you are with. Many of us have experienced that. What do we do? We lean into each other. We talk and then we talk some more. We strengthen the hedge around our relationship because we're aware of these vulnerabilities. If you need to, drop to your knees and go to God right now and pray if you're experiencing these things in your marriage. Third, grow together in your relationship with Christ. Grow together. Grow together. Don't leave your spouse behind. Pray together. Read God's word together. When faced with challenges at home, at work, with one another, Face those challenges together. Goodness, I had somebody come up to me last night after the service, and they said, this message is right on time. We've had so much trouble. Uh, they're, a, they're a couple who's come together like many, many in our family 
right, that have, a, have children from two marriages, right? And they brought their household together and, they, and they're having so much trouble with this teenager. And my suggestion to you is, you want to grow together as a couple, you spend time together working on how you're going to deal with that issue. Don't one of you deal with it. Sure as heck don't say, well, that's my child. You don't need to say anything. You know, if that's the case, why did you get remarried to start with? Why not just do it on your own? But you work together. You work together on those things. You have a challenge at work. Don't make him bear it alone. Don't make her bear it alone. Make that the focus of your time spent together, working through those things, encouraging each other, working out a plan. Attend worship together. Serve together. Sometimes the guys ask, why don't we have men's meeting every month? Because men, you need to be at home with your children and your wife. Why don't we have a big women's ministry? Women, it's the same thing. Well, I'm a single woman. I'm a widow. Great. We've got opportunities for you. Lean into each other. Talk more. Strengthen the hedge around your relationship. Grow together. Grow together. Finally, celebrate and live in the ordinary. This is my favorite. <clears throat> but it also got the most raised eyebrows last night. Marriage is a companionship. Marriage is faithfulness. Marriage is sharing life's victories and struggles. Marriage is a safe place in a hostile world. Those who have lost their mate to death, those are the ones that I want you to ask what their most remembered moments were. Have you ever done that? Uh, unfortunately, I have that privilege way too often to sit down with a widower or a widower in preparing for the service, and I ask them about the relationship they had with their husband or wife who's now in the casket. And the things that mattered most to them, the things that they remembered when they had a good marriage, <clears throat> were the walks that they used to take together. Just out in the woods or in town. <clears throat> the conversation they had sitting at the breakfast table or the dinner table or even in front of the TV, making love under the moonlight. Boy, the teens went wild last night. But if you're honest, the time spent with your children, with your family with good friends, the times that you held hands in worship together. I put it down this way. Stop waiting for what might be and embrace what's right in front of you. Boy, of all the seasons of our life, this has to be one of the weirdest seasons we've had, at least in my generation, in this world that we're living in. Listen, when money is tight, what a great opportunity to stop eating McDonald's on the way home and to cook a meal together at home. Friends, you can have steak and potatoes for what it costs to have something that they say is a hamburger and greasy french fries. Now, every once in a while, it's good. But when money's tight like it is right now, 
Make the coffee at home. Make it together. Enjoy a meal together with your family. Come out on Wednesday night and get a free meal with your family. Hold hands and look each other in the eye when you talk. When was the last time that you were having a conversation with the person that you love the most and you just reached out and took their hand and looked them in the eye? I have a feeling like at my house it's been a while since you did that. But nothing will draw you in tighter than just that touch to go along with what you're conversing about. Even if you're arguing, guys, just squeeze her hand a little tighter. She'll give in. Make a list. It works, doesn't it, Kyle? Make a list. Make a list of the things that you experienced at work while you were apart. And when you get home, pull the list out. She'll appreciate it. He will appreciate it. Don't get on the dumb phone, Facebook. Pull out your list and share the details of your day. I want to finish up our time with just a couple of statements. The first is this, when a man loves a woman, when a man loves a woman, he simplifies the complicated with humility, faithfulness to God, and a forgiving spirit. Humility. Be the first to say, honey, I am, I screwed it up again. <laughs> Boy, you don't know how many times that's said at my house. Faithfulness to God. <laughs> oh, don't go off the rails and give her a good cussing. Ladies, don't go and get a drink with the other girls from work and spend the night talking about what a terrible husband you have. Be faithful to God. Have a forgiving spirit. Quit holding it over their head. No matter what mistake they've made, stop bringing it up. And throwing it out there every time. Do you think God does that with you? If you think he does, you're looking at the wrong God of the Bible. Because he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he taken our sins from us. He remembers them no more. Don't let pride, don't let a life filled with all of these temporal things instead of eternity keep you from moving forward when complications come. Second, if you want to have the staying power it takes, you look to Jesus and line yourself up with his commands. And that's the whole premise of this series. We think that's the complicated part. We're living in the complicated part the minute that we deny God's commands in our lives. His commands are simple. His commands are straightforward. They're not complicated to understand, and they're not complicated to apply unless you've been living like hell for all of your life and then decide to do it. But even then, you start now, and it will simplify things in a way that you've never experienced before. Why? Because his strength is perfect, even in our weakest moment. Scripture tells us that when we turn our life without God and turn to him and are baptized, we're saved. But he gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us the power source, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead we now have to apply these commands in our life. And on a very personal note, as a man who's been entrusted with the love of a wife, please hear me when I say, 
It's only in the daily surrender of both the man and the woman to Jesus that real love can be had. It's only there that you can experience the real deal. And I know men and women that were very rarely on the same page spiritually at the same time, but that doesn't, that doesn't negate you from being there and having the grace to let the other come along. Because Jesus Christ is the source of true love. So the invitation is simple this morning. When a man loves a woman, he surrenders his life to Jesus Christ. And he loves her with the love that can only come from him. And if you don't have that love in your life, his Holy Spirit that's received at baptism, then you come and your first step is to surrender your life to him. No matter where you've been, no matter what's going on, it's the perfect opportunity to come and to begin the process of simplifying what has gotten so complicated. And if you do have his spirit in your life and you haven't been engaging it in this most important relationship, then please, please do start today. I would love to pray with you. I would love to coach you. I would love to encourage you. We have people that you can get with that we'll pay for, that will help you do that. Anonymous for me. I don't have to know any of your secrets. I prefer to not know your secrets. But I'll be there cheering you on from the side as well as many others who've been down that road. But don't pass up the opportunity this this weekend when we celebrate our freedom to find real freedom, the freedom to love in that kind of way. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for this moment that we've had together. Thank you for David. Father, a man who experienced so many good things, but also a man who was a man who made some really big mistakes. Not just in the act of adultery, and the consequences and how he dealt with them. But Father, way before that, when he really wasn't all that faithful, when he really wasn't after your heart, when he really wasn't willing to stay and be where he was supposed to be. Father, your spirit is inside of us that gives us strength to be where we're supposed to be, to be faithful, to apply your commands, to love in such a way that forgiveness and humility come much easier and are more genuine. Thank you, Father, for that. In Jesus' name, amen.